politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It is the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. Stay tuned as we explore consciousness, the fundamental nature of reality. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. Hello, friends. This is Michael Benner. Thanks for joining us for the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School again this week. Heard every Tuesday at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. It's uh, 20 hours universal time. In the winter, it'll be 21 hours universal time. But here in California, it's always 1 o'clock Tuesday afternoon. And uh, we are moving into fall. We're moving into the fall fun drive here at KPFK. And so it's time to remind you that you are the sponsor, the sustainer and supporter of this radio station and the Pacific Commission for Social Justice and Peace. And because peace is more than an external condition, more than the absence of war, violence, or even conflict. Peace, and for that matter, social justice, are matters of consciousness. We have programs like this, the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. Sometimes people say to me, what does your program have to do with peace and social justice? Uh, progressive politics, I, I don't, I'm not sure I see the connection. Well, if we're going to ask you to support this radio station, I think you need to understand the connection. I'm going to offer it to you anyway. And that's that programs about consciousness or awareness, or as Nita calls it on Friday, inner visions. I used to do an inner visions segment years ago myself. These programs are about not only consciousness and awareness, but conscience. We open this program by talking about the moral authority that stands beyond politics and above organized religion. The moral authority, that's a matter of conscience. And you need to be conscious of your conscience if you are to understand why you give a damn. Why do you care? Why do you care about the world being peaceful? Why do you care about social justice? Why do you care about global warming and overpopulation, resource ecology? Why does it matter? I would argue that for listeners of this radio station especially, it goes way beyond self-interest. And yet to put our finger on the reasons that we care, that we feel so strongly about opposing war, being an anti-racist, fighting for social justice, working to save the environment. The reasons that we care go beyond even psychology to a deep unconscious need to make a difference in the world, to make a contribution, to be part of the solution, to, what did Gandhi say, to be the change that you wish to see in the world. The alternative is to sit around and wait for somebody to do it for you and then wring your hands and complain when it doesn't happen. There's a lot of that. 
But the mission of KPFK, the reason we would like you to go to our website, kpfk.org slash donate and become a sustainer, a contributor to at least make a pledge to support this radio station is because beyond entertainment, we're informing you. There's instruction here. There's good, solid information from diverse sources, information from around the world to help you become a more effective agent for change. And that merits your support. So won't you give us a call at 818-985-5735? We've outsourced the phone rooms because of COVID, but somebody will pick up and they'll be happy to take your pledge, your contribution. 818-985-5735. But actually, we'll get a higher percentage of that donation of yours if you do it on the website. Just point your browser to KPFK dot org slash donate and i like to ask my listeners to contribute via the sustainers circle here you can give just five or ten bucks a month i mean it's painless why ask you to contribute a couple of hundred dollars once a year when for five or ten dollars a month you can have it pulled painlessly (laughs) and automatically right out of your bank account And it is a tax-deductible contribution. Talk to your tax person about it. But at the end of the year, you have a nice contribution to a charity, a 501c3. We're a nonprofit organization, KPFK, the Pacifica Group of Radio Stations. Imagine, 5 or $10 a month. That's that's not even a fast food lunch. Once a month, 5 or 10 bucks. $10 a month would be... $120 $120 a year, right? $20 a month? That, wow, that's 240 bucks a year. And I bet you wouldn't miss $20 a month. And imagine the feeling. Every time you hear an appeal on KPFK for your support, you'll have that wonderful satisfaction and contentment of knowing I'm part of that. That's my radio station. And as soon as you get to $25 in any given year, You're a member of KPFK, and you can vote. By the way, we're in an election. The deadline is October 15. So if you got your ballot, be sure you vote for local station board by October 15, 2021. Okay? KPFK.org slash donate. Make your contribution today. Stay with us. I've got a wonderful guest coming up for you, and we're going to talk again about being conscious of your conscience, being aware of what's right and what's wicked, and uh, why you give a damn, why it matters to you that you listen to a station like this, that you care about peace and social justice. This is the Mystery School. You're listening to KPFK, and I'm Michael Benner. We'll be back right after this. KPFK programmers consistently dig deep to get at the truth and then tell it like it is to make a difference locally and globally. Please pledge your financial support to maintain KPFK's vital independent role in contemporary media. You can do so now at kpfk.org or by calling 818-985-5735. KPFK, powered by the people. Welcome back. Thanks for staying with us. This is the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on KPFK. 
Heard all over Southern California, from Santa Barbara to San Diego. We live stream on the internet at kpfk.org. We're podcasts to all aggregators and podcatchers. And we stream on the agelesswisdom.com as well. We have a, a friend, a dear friend, returning today to KPFK, a fellow I first interviewed about 22 years ago. I got this book from a publisher. It said The Direct Path, and I opened it up, and I started leafing through it. And within 60 seconds, I said, I've got to have this guy on my radio program. And it worked out, and we did. Initially, a, a telephone call. And then later, he came into the KPFK studios, and we would do uh, interviews every so often. And he's in Chicago today, and because of COVID, we got to do all of this online anyway. But it's wonderful to see him, and I'm happy to bring him to you again today. This is my dear friend and celebrated mystic and rabble-rouser and lovable troublemaker, Andrew Harvey. Andrew, good afternoon. <laughs> good trouble is very important to make. I love that phrase. Good trouble. You know trouble. I'm saying that in the best way. <laughs> oh, I do. I do know that. I think part of mysticism is making a little bit of trouble. And uh, Oh, yes. You know. The mystics have always been the great troublemakers because they are gifted with the revelation of the real, so they see just how unreal everything that we're doing is. And they say so, which doesn't always make them popular, of course. Look what happened to Jesus. But they are the realists, the true realists, and that's their job is to challenge the nonsense, the craziness, the hubris, the madness that we take for reality so that we can come into our true divine nature. I think that's a great place for us to begin. Why don't you tell us, in a few words, what is mysticism, and how does it differ from what we think of as organized religion? Well, it's completely different from organized religion, thank God. Mysticism is direct seeing into the heart of reality, direct knowledge of the real. And it goes far beyond any religious dogma or concept. It's a living experience in the heart, mind, soul, and body of the divine presence by whatever name you call it. That's mysticism. It's tuning in and actually feeling in your body not emotional love, but love on the higher turn of the spiral. How do we, how do we find words for that ineffability? Well, I think it's, it's, it is emotional, but it is an emotion that is so overwhelmingly passionate that you know that it isn't personal. It's a vast explosion in the heart of rapture and adoration and reverence and ecstasy. And that ecstasy is felt in the illumined mind that opens to its magic and it's felt in the heart that bursts open to its splendor. But it also spills over into the body as all the mystics who've ever experienced this know. So the whole being becomes as if lit up by an inner fire. That's the experience Rumi is talking about when he says passion burns down every branch of exhaustion. Passion 
is the supreme elixir and renews all things. He's talking about that living experience of fire igniting your whole being through connection, direct, naked connection with the great fire source of God's bliss and passion. That brings up that great Sufi allegory about the moth to the flame. Yes. Why don't you explain that? Well, the Sufis, who have a wonderful array of images to describe the indescribable, talk about the whole mystical path as being like a moth's love for a flame. If you put a, a little fire in the room, the moths all come towards it. But the really brave ones, the really mad ones, the really thrilled ones, dive into the flame and get burnt away by it. And that, of course, is the experience of being annihilated and reborn in the mystical journey that the great mystics know. You have to be brave enough not just to be attracted to the flame, but to surrender to it and to be burnt in a way, burnt alive by it and murdered and resurrected in it. This is wild language for people who don't know this territory, but it is something that all true mystics recognize. First you have the experience, then you fall in love with the bliss and the joy and the peace and the passion that are given you, and then you surrender more and more through mystical practice to that glory, and then what happens is that you go through a series of ordeals that are very carefully calculated to destroy your ego, and that's a brutal process. It's called the dark night process, and actually the whole world is going through that process as somebody told me the other day, which is true. And then something utterly extraordinary happens, which is that you're reborn as a living flame of the fire itself. So that moth and the flame imagery goes very, very far. It does. In fact, if we go back even further in history to hermetic alchemy, we have the fire of the Athenor burning off all the impurities so that only remain. Right. Is that where the idea of purgation and purgatory comes from, that adversity or problems in life are really opportunities for us to become more refined? I think that everyone, including the ancient shamanic traditions, have known from inmost experience that Progress in the real path, in the path to becoming one with the real, depends upon going through certain purifying, devastating experiences which strip you of you. There's a tremendous couplet from the great mystic Al-Halaj, one of the great Muslim mystics, Sufi mystics, who says, and this is the whole path really, take, no, let's get it right. He said, between me and you, meaning between Allah, Lodge and God, there is only me. Between me and you, there's only me. Take away the me, so only you remain. Well, it sounds beautiful, but taking away the me is a very difficult, weird, painful process. So what the mystic is, is someone who commits himself or herself to the mysterious processes that love's intelligence sends him or her to take away the false self, the identification with false conventions, false identities, 
so that the living presence of the divine that is our all of our essential natures remains. That's the process. So I think every single mystical system has a different word for this, but it all comes down to realizing that once you commit yourself to the path, you're committing yourself to a path of being murdered and reborn, killed and resurrected. And that goes on and on and on until in the final stages, you are finally murdered, finally cleared of yourself, and then enabled to live as your authentic divine being, using your personality, using your gifts, not from the ego, but from the mysterious divine intelligence that is your essential truth. Seems to me so much of the mystery of mysticism is around the center, the heart and the soul between spirit and matter, between God and man. I think it's also Sufi, help me out with this, uh, the saying, I looked for God and saw myself, I explored myself, and I found only God. Right. Well, there is no separation in the divine. The separation is in us. Everything is made out of the substance of the light. Everything is divine creation. That's what I mean by the, by the center between those two. The paradox is we are not really separate from our source other than in appearance. Right. And so this middle element, the heart, soul, the, the Christ consciousness, the Buddha nature, that love that connects the creator and its creation. Not only love, wisdom too, because... You need both the depth of an unconditional, passionate love and you need the realizations of non-separation. You need the lucid, sober realizations of being one with the one. So you need a marriage inside you, inside the heart, of very exalted, clear, sober wisdom and very wild, holy, passionate love. And when those two come together... Enlightenment is born slowly. That's the chemical wedding. Yes, exactly. And you could say that's the marriage of the, the, the sacred masculine, which could be characterized as wisdom, clarity, and the sacred feminine, which could be characterized as passionate love. So when the two come together in the core of your being, you're born into your fullness as a hologram of the whole divine that is both transcendent and imminent, both utterly free of all creation and absolutely imbuing all creation at the same time. It's an amazing experience waking up even to the fringes of that truth. And it's an experience that everyone is here to have. I really believe that. That's why I wrote The Direct Path, for example, which really I wrote to say, look, the most amazing thing is that you're born with divine consciousness. That's a given. That's an original blessing. We're here on the earth to uncover that, to experience that. And we're here on the earth to be born into what you can be born into when you truly realize that and start living from it. Andrew, I saw in your newsletter, which I love, by the way. Thank you. It's a great way to follow you and see what you're up to. Uh, I saw this beautiful 
photo of a white lion. Oh, yes. And underneath it said, healing the divine animal within. Mm. I've got to know about that. Tell us about the white lion. Oh, my God, you've opened a glorious Pandora's box. Well, in about two weeks, I'm going to do something that's very important for me. I'm going to give a weekend with the great Linda Tucker. And anybody who's interested in this weekend can go to my website, andrewharvey.net. Linda Tucker is an absolutely amazing woman who is the guardian of... Africa's glorious, holy, white lions. There are only 13 of them, and they are white, and they've got blue eyes that are out of captivity. The others are being bred in these horrific concentration camps, really, to be shot and stuffed and sold. It's terrifying. I, I don't want to go into that, but I want to talk about the sacredness of these animals. For the African tradition, and for me now, the white lions are the holiest animals on the earth. They are the Dalai Lamas, if you like, of the animals. They are nothing less than crystallized light erupting out of the heart of nature, ambassadors in nature of the Christ consciousness. And I first met them 10 years ago because I had a great friend and I was writing my book, The Hope, which is a book about sacred activism, which launched the global movement of sacred activism. And I was very exhausted after it. And she said, you must go to the white lands. They will give you what you need for the next part of your journey. And I believed her because she's a very wise woman. But I had a lot of reservations because although I've had very deep relationships with animals, especially with cats, as you know, cats have been at the core of my life, I didn't really know whether I believed that animals could have that level of divine consciousness. I was so stupid and so stuck in the old religions. So I went to South Africa and met Linda and spent an astonishing two weeks. And every day went out and encountered these staggering, beautiful, holy beings. We would go out and then stop the jeep and pray, and suddenly they would come because they knew that we were in a state of reverence, and they would show themselves in the most beautiful, magical way. And slowly I began to understand that I'd known really nothing about what animals truly are. I suddenly felt incredibly ignorant and incredibly humbled by the majesty and the glory of what I was seeing and experiencing. I'll just give you one experience of that time. I was reading Linda's tremendous book, which is called The Mystery of the White Lions. And I came to this passage in which she said that the white lions essentially came from Sirius. And that was too much for me. The idea that they would be emanations from the star cluster, right? So I was in the middle of the night. So I decided to test this insane possibility. And I said, I'm going to go out and I'm going to stand behind the rendezvous and I'm going to ask the, you know, I'm going to look up at Sirius and I'm going to say, if this is real, I want a sign. So I did exactly that. 
And believe it or not, at the very moment that I leant against the Rondavo wall, looked up at Sirius and did this kind of blasphemous bargaining, five white lions came out of the darkness of the forest, roared, and went back into the forest. So, this ancient African knowledge that these animals carry a fundamental transmission of divine love out of the heart of nature, speaking about fearless leadership for justice, fearless union with the whole natural world, fearless acceptance of our own natural being, became real to me. All of it became real to me. And over the years, I've taken many groups to the White Lands, and people have had the most extraordinary experiences. If you come to my flat in, in Oak Park, you'll see that one whole wall has pictures of the White Lands. I consider them my power animals, my guardians, my beloveds. And they've, they've vastly increased my knowledge of my own cats because since I began to fall in love with them, I began to begin to begin to realize what cats really are, these astounding ambassadors of embodiment. And through this relationship with the white lions, which has deepened in immeasurable ways over the years, I came to understand that there was something fundamentally wrong about our religions and even our mystical systems. And what was wrong was the denigration of the body that afflicts nearly all of them, the body hatred, the sex hatred, and the implied denigration of the created world. And that has led me to a deep exploration of all of the secret tantric traditions of the different religious systems, and to an extraordinary experience in my own life of what it means to ignore and transcend those terrible, tragic messages about our body and about our sexuality and start blessing the body as a sublime creation of the divine and start blessing our sexuality so as to be able not to transcend it as the religions tell us to do, but to divinize it and accept it and divinize it to make it the expression of powerful love in all of its forms. And this has led to a completely different understanding of what I believe is the next stage of humanity, which I believe is going to be an embodied divine humanity. But there cannot be any true embodiment without blessing our own animal, our own animal, this body, its desires, its passions. That doesn't mean that we just let them rip. What it means is that we don't separate ourselves from them and we allow their holy power to guide us just as much as our illumined mind and our awakened heart and bring them all together in the awakened heart so we live an increasingly and fully embodied life, which is, I'm discovering, far more loving, far more energized, far more passionate about justice, far more connected with every living thing than the sometimes very etiolated, ethereal, mystical wisdom systems. 
So I've laid down a manifesto for the future in what I've said, but it's very exciting when you begin to begin to understand it. Listening to you creates an altered state in me, and I have to make a deliberate effort to come back into my body, put my feet on the ground, look at the clock and say, oh, yeah, we're doing a radio show here, and (laughs) I've got to take a break. But that's the gift of the white lines for everyone who really has been listening. So if you want to understand them, listen to Linda and listen to what I'll be saying. And also what I'm going to be doing in that wonderful weekend is that Linda's going to bring her vision of leadership, which the lions have taught her, sacred leadership, lion-hearted leadership, and my vision of sacred activism together. So the mystical traditions are going to meet this astounding transmission from the heart of nature, and I think the two together will empower the heaven and the hell out of everybody. Well, we've got a whole other segment yet to do, So, and I've got several Great, what I think are really important questions to ask you. So, please, my darling, yes. Let's stay tuned and uh, we'll be back with my guest, Andrew Harvey, talking about the divine animal within. Now, there is a concept for you in these beautiful white lions that he's just described as the embodiment of everything that is sacred and divine. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on 90.7 KPFK in Los Angeles. More than 100 books for and about Latinos will be honored at the 23rd International Latino Book Awards Ceremony to be held virtually on October 16 and 17 at www.latinobookawards.org. The books range from fiction to mystery and everything in between in English, Spanish, and Portuguese. On both days, awards will take place virtually at 1 and 4 p.m. Pacific Time. That's October 16 and 17 at www.latinobookawards.org. And we're back with the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on KPFK in Los Angeles. 90.7 FM streaming for the world at kpfk.org. Thanks for joining us. I hope you're making it a habit to be with us every Tuesday afternoon at 1 o'clock California time. That's 20 hours universal in the summer and 21 in the winter. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. It's still a beautiful summer, summer day in Southern California today. Our guest, Andrew Harvey, has just been talking about these extraordinary white lions with blue eyes. These are not albino creatures. Oh, God, no, they're a whole species of lion. And you can see them if you go to Global White Lion Protection Trust. There's a whole set of really absolutely unbelievably beautiful and powerful photographs of these extraordinary creatures. Global White Lion Protection Trust, give yourself that ecstatic pleasure. Because when you look at them, something may very well happen to you because they are, they're lions, but they're also charged and they're also charged with obvious divine presence and divine power. You'll see. This idea of yours, uh, healing the divine animal within, I think is, uh, a wonderful portal to spirituality because 
so many of us have an indescribable love of animals, starting with our domestic pets, you know, the dogs and the cats and hamsters and goldfish or whatever. I mean, we care, right? And then even wildlife, uh, people who live their entire lives in the city and know little of, of the woods or the or the countryside, if they came upon an injured animal, unless they were sociopathic or, you know, some sort of psychopath, the caring nature in them would rise. Absolutely. And they would be concerned. They would open to their loving spiritual nature. There's something about our connection to animals. And while we may aspire to think of ourselves as spiritual creatures, we are, as you've just said, living a leg in both worlds. We are energy and matter. We are God, but we are human. We are divine, and yet we are in animal But body. animals are divine. The animal body is divine. And yet, what, what do you mean then by healing the divine animal within? Well, it's healing this fantasy that we are superior to animals and that we have the right, we do love them, of course, but we also kill 59 billion of them every year for our tables and we let them be slaughtered and we are now in a massive extinction of the animals out of our madness and our greed. So that's the other side. And that craziness is caused by our mad belief that we are superior and have the right to do whatever we want to to these amazing creatures because they don't have what we're supposed to have, this wonderful consciousness, which seems at this moment to be more murderous than anything else. When you wake up, you see that all of that is a fiction. Animals are in a state of awakened grace. They are far more fully spiritual and fully embodied than almost anybody except the Dalai Lama. And when you have a deep relationship with an animal, as I've been privileged to do with the white lions and with my own cats, slowly and with great awe and astonishment, you come to realize that they don't need you. You desperately need them because... Loving them brings you slowly but richly and deeply more and more into the love power of your animal nature, which you've been torturing by an addiction to the intellect or an addiction to transcendence, addiction to getting out of the body and going into some imaginary light. When you realize that, then you realize that the animals are here to guide us into the depths of the holiness of being one with the creation in our bodies. And then you have a wholly new level of ecstatic appreciation for these bodies that can love and be loved by other bodies. I'm not just talking sexually. I'm talking about the glorious eros of lying on my bed, for example, and having my little baby cat jump on the bed and then roll over and putting my hand in her stomach and 
caressing her stomach and listening to her purr for half an hour. And what happens when I allow myself to slow down completely and be with her in her enormous love for me is that I let out my enormous love for her and love encapsulates us both and both of us come into being completely present in mind, heart, soul, and body. But I couldn't do that without her. She's my guide into that magical territory of being love's body like she is. I had a personal mystical experience. I guess, I, I guess I'd have to call it that with one of my cats, uh, probably a decade ago, a cat that um, my wife Doreen and I named Huxley after Aldous Huxley. I met Huxley. I remember Huxley. <laughs> well, one day I was alone with Huxley, and he had searched out a little sliver of direct sunlight so that he could lay in the warmth of that sun. And after laying there for a while, he stood up and did that little cat yoga thing where they stretch out their front paws. and Oh, God, they die back in total relaxation. It's glorious, isn't it? And my mind swooned, and my heart opened, and I saw, and these words came to my mind, the catness of God. Right. And in that moment, I realized that dogs are the dogness of God, and trees are the treeness of God, yes. and yes. flowers are the flowerness of divinity, and all that is is an expression of divinity in a way that I had never conceived of. I mean, intellectually, yeah, but never quite so viscerally in my body, so clearly. And you are the Michael of God. You are the essence, but you're, all of you is. It's not just your wonderful mind and your kind heart. It's your body, too, that is the expression of it. They all come together in a unified field. And the tragedy of humanity has been to privilege the mind hysterically, and when not privileging the mind hysterically, to create an icon of the spirit as totally dissociated from the body, which has been a terrible, terrible crime because it has prevented us from being as unified in our being as Huxley was in his and as Jade always is in hers. I love what um, whoever it was, he said, I've known a lot of Zen masters and they are all cats. Ah. Once you get how extraordinary they are normally, how present, how fulfilled in their being, how absolutely at ease with all of themselves that they are, then you see just how tortured, fragmented, split we are. And even so-called spiritual people are in this secret war between them and their bodies, them and their sexuality, 
That means nothing to the animal. That's all fantasy. It's all mind torture. Trying to unlearn all that and coming into the divine animal and healing the split between the mind and the spirit and the divine animal is really important for the future of the human race. Because if we can do this, we will arrive here in a way that we have never arrived here and we will fall so overwhelmingly in love with being here and feel so united with everything that is here that we will stop the massacre of other beings, the despoliation of nature that is now threatening our existence and the existence of millions of species. So I'm not just talking about a beautiful idea. I'm talking about something that is absolutely essential for our survival. And to get to this healing of the divine animal, we're going to have to unlearn two major addictions, the addiction to what we imagine to be the superiority of our demented mind and what we imagine to be the superiority of our spiritual consciousness. Because so often that so-called spiritual consciousness is, is a, an excuse for radical schizophrenia, a separation from ourselves, a tormenting of ourselves, a battering of ourselves. And if you're going to torment and batter yourself, you can be damn sure that you're going to torment and batter other people. That's just how it works. So the pain goes on and the pain, a great deal of it, comes from being separated from the lusciousness of being in a body here with other bodies in the great radiant body of God's creation. There are, I think it's generally agreed, only two motives, love and fear. And I've come to believe that if you dig down layer upon layer upon layer into fear, Ultimately, it's born of the delusion that we're separate. Totally. That we've been abandoned by our creator. But this is, a, this is crazy. Where would he go? Where would she go? There's nowhere for the creator to go. The creator is everywhere. God lives in heaven out there. A man this on the cloud. Madness. Uh, it is. I love what Kabir says. He says, look, I don't know anything about what you call heaven, and I haven't the slightest idea what you mean about hell. God is here. Love is here. Plunge into its rapture. But how can you plunge into the rapture of the presence if you don't know that that presence is as much in the in your toes and in your groin and in your thighs and in the cells of your body as it is in the revelations of your overheated mind and spirit. It's right here, right now, all of it. I think the problem, to a large degree, can be found in, uh, and I hope I'm using this word correctly, the anthropomorphization, the anthropomorphizing, the personifying of God as a human being. Oh, God, yes, this is a madness. <laughs> I, I think it was Heraclitus that said, if horses had gods, they would look like horses. Well, it's funny, actually, you say that, because once when one of my beloved cats died, we were I was sitting with my husband, and 
we both saw it. We looked out of the window and there was this huge, vast cat in the sky. So I think that the divine provides heavens for all the creatures. And so I think there are horse gods, cat gods, but let's get real. God is consciousness. God is being awareness bliss, as the Hindus say. And that transcends all personification or concept. How would you suggest, if we're going to share this expanded awareness with our friends and family members, that we approach this idea that God is not an old white guy with a beard sitting on a cloud on a throne in another place outside of its creation, but actually everywhere equally present. Do you have any suggestion or tips? on? Well, I would say to them, look, if you believe that God is omnipotent and omniscient and everything, isn't God also the leaves? Isn't God also the water? Isn't God also the little boy dancing in the playground? Where would God not be? How could anything exist apart from God? Everything's created in God, by God. So what would God have created everything out of but God? And that's an exciting place to start. And then you might say to them, look, this idea of God being in some heaven and some elsewhere has not had a very helpful effect to humanity. It's made humanity extremely pessimistic about itself and extremely ungrateful for the glory of the creation, so much so that we're now in danger of destroying ourselves and it. So there's something deeply wrong about all of this, because why would you imagine that you'd being created except to have the most wonderful imaginable experience? And what could be a more wonderful experience than waking up to being a tiny light drop of the great ocean of light that is God. That's the ultimate experience. And then you might add that mystics in all of the traditions, not just in the Christian tradition or the Sufi tradition, but in all of the traditions, have woken up to this living experience, and it's clearly made them unbelievably wild with joy. Wouldn't you want to have that experience before the fat lady sang? <laughs> Especially because if when the fat lady sings, you won't be frightened by it because you know that she's just singing to scare you and you'll no longer be scarable because you know that your substance, your essential nature has never been born and will never die. That's a good way to begin the conversation sometimes. I've had pushback from so-called fundamentalists that that's pantheism, that God is nature. No, it's panentheism. It's different from pantheism. Panentheism means that the transcendent, which transcends all, all possible worlds, is actually living in every aspect of every world at the same time. That's a very important distinction. Let's go over that again quickly. Pantheism is God in all things. Panentheism says yes, but it's also all things in God. Right. Pantheism tends to, is they're right to say that pantheism is a limitation because pantheism is just saying God is nature. God is 
material things. That's only a half-truth. The full truth is what the great mystics revealed to us, which is that there is a transcendent reality which goes beyond anything we can describe, but which, for its own purposes, creates all imaginable universes and lives in all of them, in all of its processes, and in all of its beings, and in the tiniest stone and in the little fly. Everything. And that's panentheism. And that's what the Upanishads say. That's what Rumi says. That's what everybody who awakens sees and knows. That's reality. And that's unbelievably liberating. But it has responsibilities because once you wake up to that, you've got to be kind and compassionate and see that everybody's protected and loved and cherished and fed and that nobody dominates and destroys anybody else's world. So that's what makes you a warrior of love and justice. So much of mysticism is replacing or with and. Yes. It's all about that in a way, because it's all about ending the false separations between transcendent light and the creation. You know, the Buddha said, Emptiness is form and form is emptiness. So when you wake up, you realize that everything created is made out of the substance of light. Then you have to destroy the, connect, the separation between masculine and feminine because they're two sides of a mystery which need to come into conscious relationship. Then you have to destroy the false separation between the light and the dark because both are holy, both are divine, both are there for their own divine purposes. It's a big job, but it's worth it. It's like that old song, you can't have one without the other. Right. Uh, any painter or photographer will tell you that light's of little use without shadow. Right. And in a time like this, it's very important to remember that because we can all be so overwhelmed by the agony and horror of what is erupting out there. But if you know that everything has a divine origin, then there is a secret divine meaning to this eruption, which you have to be humble enough to listen for. And it may be something like what the great mystics say about the dark night process, that there is a death process which is terrifying and frightening and very painful and very costly. But if you can go through it with humility, you can be stripped of what you no longer need and burnt free of your falsities and born into another dimension of empowerment. And that's what I believe is happening, and it has to happen, because humanity has gone mad, and that madness is threatening its own life and the life of every other creature on the planet and a great deal of nature. This crisis has come as a terrifying purification of that madness, and it's going to do its terrible work until we're humble enough to receive unimaginable grace for the next level of our divine embodiment. God knows when that will be, but the crisis itself is not going away because we are in an evolutionary mutation and the divine is very serious about us getting to the next level and will do everything, including destroy billions of us and reduce us almost to the edge of extinction to get us there. That's what is happening, I believe. And unless you realize that that too is holy, that too is divine, you're going to be scared out of your wits and destroyed. Yeah, we've got to figure it out. 
I heard a teacher say only this morning that anytime we encounter a problem, we need to understand that there's really two problems. There's the problem as it appears in the world, and then there's what you make of it in your mind. Right, in the mind. There you said it. If you just look at this crisis from the ego mind, all you will see is disaster, horror, and the potential end of the planet. And there are many people wakening up to this. And that's why there's madness afoot. If you step back and ask for grace and allow your whole being to expand in grace, you'll see that death prepares birth, destruction prepares renewal. Annihilation is the condition for regeneration. And although you will not know how that regeneration and that birth will take place, you can know that if the divine is doing it, there is an incredible hidden grace in the most atrocious circumstances. You can know that, and you can believe that, and you can trust that, and you can work for that, which is what I'm doing. Listening to you, Andrew, is a symphony, I swear. <laughs> it's really beautiful, a pleasure. Thank you for being with us, for your service. You're, you've devoted and dedicated your life to embracing all spiritual traditions and thank you and freeing all concretized religions from the ties that bind that we might recognize the ultimate harmony and unity which is already here you know that michael what you saw in your cat lying in the sun is the deep peace of a being that is one with the one and actually that's available to all of us beyond sexual beyond our sexual differences beyond our tribal differences beyond our skin differences all of that is bs and that is our addiction to all those forms of bs are destroying our world but if we can return to that living experience we can recreate and regenerate our world in a much more amazing and loving and funny and delicious way. So let's do it. We don't have any much time left. Funny you should say that, because I am out of time with this, uh, <laughs> <laughs> with this interview. How, what's your latest book, and how can folks get more information well, about Andrew Harvey? I book called Turn Me to Gold, which is 108 poems of the great mystic Kabir, who really got all of this and was talking and singing and laughing and crying out about all of this in the 15th century in Benares. It's called Turn Me to Gold, and it's published by Unity Press. And if you haven't met Kabir, meet Kabir. He'll rock your world. And your website is andrewharvey.net. andrewharvey.net. Please, please join my email and you'll get all kinds of free lovely things and come and be with me with linda tucker for the white lion summit i think it's in two weeks time it's i think it's in um, the third week of october but please join us because she's electrifying and you'll meet another vision of reality which maybe will thrill you and energize you and inspire you thank you dear man it's uh Wonderful seeing you again and having you back on KPFK. Uh, peace and love to you and your family and your friends. And 
and Jade, my beautiful cat, and she sends love to you because she's in the sun right now, radiating. I'm sure of that. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Andrew Harvey, my guest on KPFK. Wow, so much. This is a program you might want to listen to a couple of times, so I'll remind you that it is podcast forevermore. I post these to YouTube. It'll stream on theagelesswisdom.com. On that site, it'll last for seven days till replaced by the subsequent program, but podcasts will always be there. The YouTube will always be there. And if you just Google Andrew Harvey, there's a wealth of information, dozens of books. And uh, get his newsletter. Keep track of what he's doing. This is an exceptional man. I appreciate your listening, tuning in to the Mystery School every week on KPFK. And hope you'll join us next Tuesday at 1 in the afternoon. Let me take just one more minute to remind you that we are beginning our fall fun drive on KPFK. If you're not yet a sustaining sponsor, please join us by going to kpfk.org slash donate and then look around. You'll find Sustainer's Circle under Support KPFK and, you know, five or ten bucks is all it takes to make a real difference. Instead of thinking about contributing large amounts of money once a year or scouring the website for premiums and all of that you know 10 bucks a month 20 dollars a month if you feel you can afford it i promise there is no greater charity because the work kpfk does really supports all charities all humanitarian efforts all progressive ideologies and so you really don't have to pick and choose just support pacifica and you're supporting everything that you care about and helping make the world a better place. A few bucks a month is all it takes to really, really make a difference. Okay? Point your browser to kpfk.org slash donate. Make your contribution now. And as always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. From Los Angeles, this is Michael Benner on KPFK. KPFK.